0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production, now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I am Danny Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow, my colleague at The Athletic, and one of my favorite people to talk to, and a great person to discuss the early part of the season with because usually very tempered and so we get into a lot of different teams and situations in terms of whether for a team that's struggling whether to be concerned good teams whether it's for real or or what you want to take away from it and then at the end i felt frustrated with myself that we didn't get to it earlier we talked about kevin durant so that's at the end uh was was pretty fun to to get into that a little bit but so a lot of ground here, a, a lot of different teams and situations, and so hope you really enjoy it. And here it is. Thank you so much for coming on,
0: and thank you for having me back. <laughs> it's a wonderful new season.
1: Wonderful is a word for it. Um, but it's great to have basketball back. I mean, as much as as much as I will lament some of the blowouts and some of the some of the less competitive games, um, both due to just happenstance and design. Um, I, what I I think is so is so challenging about the beginning of the season and this is it's interesting because you and I have all these conversations that aren't on this podcast. And what I the way that I was thinking about it is in terms of priors. And so the early part of the season, you're kind of thinking, okay, I have these thoughts, you know, you and I both study the league, we spent time in the off season and all the prior experience we have looking at it. And then you're trying to reconcile. Well, is this like should I overreact to this? And was my prior just completely wrong? Is this player a lot better? Is this team a lot better? Or are things kind of going, are things just kind of, you know, is it anomalous? I guess is probably the other way to put it. And so, whether it's an individual player or a team, that can be the, the, I think that's the challenge of the first, let's say, month or so.
0: Yeah, I think we're sort of, we're used to calibrating. Okay, around Christmas, we'll kind of know where teams are. That's what we're used to. But around Christmas, we're 20 games in. And this year, we're, you know, Christmas was two. And now, you know, just after New Year's, we're five. So we are, you know, just our, our kind of our body clocks are way ahead of the information we have right now. And so it seems like there is kind of a rush to to want to, you know, make pronouncements on teams when really even more so than usual. This is just we're we're, we're basically in late preseason mode for most teams.
1: Right, and that's the other factor that I think has to be acknowledged a lot here is that when we're pricing in, you know, you, I, I think that's very useful to think about, you know, Christmas Day as being two months in, and now it's was less than a weekend, but also they didn't get a full preseason, so you might even want to calibrate that a little further back, just because some of these teams, especially those that are dealing with absences, are adjusting in a way that typically teams are not to even start a season, much less you know at, the, at this point of
0: it, and. Are you trying to set me up for a soapbox here? I mean, take it if you uh, want so, it. No, this, is, this is just an argument that's recently come up. Um, someone in your neck of was with Steve Kerr has been getting, all, getting some flack from it seems like some uh, Warriors fandom for like something, something. The offense isn't right for the players he has. Da da da. Well, when was that supposed to happen? Like all of a sudden, okay, you, you, right before the season starts, you lose your, you know, you've, you have three guys who you know have, have your, the bulk of your talent and institutional memory. One of them goes out for the season, like right before camp starts. One of them unexpectedly misses the start of the season. You had, you know, I don't know, seven real practices in preseason plus however many days they lost due to various shutdowns. And the Warriors were one of the teams that had to shut down, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and so when exactly were were you supposed to install a completely new offense? When was that supposed to happen? Like it's hard enough when you have the full month-long training camp and kind of the uh the um the, the 6 weeks of what in football might be described as OTAs before then. Like that's hard enough. But, you know, you you have 10 interrupted days to do it. Um how come you didn't completely revamp everything about your team? That's that seems like a ridiculous ask, well, and, and that's why I think that that teams that have some continuity have a little bit of an advantage this year.
1: Absolutely, and I, I think that for the Warriors, the challenge for me with that with that idea is that I do think some of the theory of that is correct. Basically, the idea that the Warriors system relies a lot on having enough shooting, which primarily comes from two guys, and that was always a flaw of the way that Bob Myers kind of, oh, I mean three when they had Durant, obviously, um, that that was a, a limitation with the team, and that it relies a lot on you know guys moving the ball quickly and intelligently. And so the, so the arguments can kind of go both ways. One of the arguments is you need time to learn how to play that way, and I think that there is real merit to that. But there's also the idea that aptitude matters, and Wiggins in particular. But you could argue Kelly Oubre as well. They're not. They're not necessarily the most adept at making the transition, even if they had more time. Though we can all acknowledge that having more time would help.
0: Yes, and the flip side of that is actually is that you know putting in a more rote offense. I don't know if you say you wanted to run a flex system, that takes a lot more time to do than to you know, lay out some principles and run a read and react because you're, you're basically, you're spending all that time installing your offense pre making decisions basically for players on the floor. And that's what makes it simple. So that structure is actually quite, you know, a lot more work to get into place so that the players can then have, have the game be simple for them when the game happens. So it's, it's that given the short time span, that is even harder than, you know, it would actually be easier to move to a more complex system because you're actually like taking structure away rather than than you know having to teach new players, some of whom you know James Wiseman hasn't played a game in a year basically prior to the, to the season started. That's um, putting a lot of stuff on him right away. That strikes me as Quite difficult and unreasonable to expect it to have been done by now. Anyway, put the soapbox away. Let's go. move moving along. Yeah,
1: and so and and then the other part of the kind of the challenge of the early season is what I like to d- describe as context. And so, like an example, there was um, there was some chest puffing from the Atlanta Hawks after like media and all that, and then some org, org stuff too. Um, after they're they're now four and one deserve deserve a lot of credit for that success however again context is important they they did play well against the nets in a game they lost and then played and then and then beat them you know in that the the kind of doubles that were the the COVID doubles that we're seeing and then their previous other wins they beat detroit detroit is a bad team like that is straight up they are a bad team i i did that game for nba league pass i watched all of it i've seen the pistons before the pistons are not good the Me- Memphis that was a game that job played. Um, it, I, the Hawks were were good in that game, um, but you know it's like okay, that's that's notable. And then they played Chicago. Chicago isn't good, and Chicago also at that point was playing without a bunch of their guys due to unavailabilities, some COVID, some not including. Like that, Young wasn't, but he also was was dealing with his own uh, health issues, and so. Yes, like that is very good. You would much rather be four and one than not, but am I going to go? The Hawks are for real they are a they are a bona fide contender off of this sample, like yeah, the two games against brooklyn were were like that 's very, very positive for them but and and they 're not like the ultimate example of like, oh, all they played are trash, and that 's why they look so good N- nothing like that but it's so important, and some of the context for that we don't necessarily know because we're still learning. You know, it's so like you can see how a win against Team X can change over time. Like, oh crap, that team's actually good, or oh, they're actually
0: bad. Well, and it's it, it's also like a win over a team that's like beating Denver now. Maybe looks different than, than having beaten Denver will look in two months.
1: Sure, or like or like Charlotte, ch- Charlotte's ch- win
0: over Brooklyn, for example. Yeah. Yeah but how does but you know but you know Denver now is not what Denver's going to look like in 2 months anyway so what do you you know it's what do you read into that like again normally with the full with the full preseason you can kind of all right the teams have changed a little bit over the year but they kind of are what they are and again this uh, this first couple of weeks is a lot of teams still sort of establishing their rotations guys playing their way back into shape guys Getting used to playing basketball again almost after, like, not, you know, playing, ba- but playing like NBA basketball with, with, you know, refs and play calls and, and stuff like that. And travel. Yes. And even the travel is, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the routine is just different. You know, it, like the, the, you know, team dinners aren't happening. Or if they are, they're they're happening in very different ways.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And just some of the some of the day to day adjustments that, that aren't that aren't necessarily visible to us but are change change the relationship between the players and their, you know, continuity and everything else. Yeah, everything is so different this year. Yeah. So, so I'll open it up to you. I mean we'll we have plenty of plenty of avenues that we can that we can get into, but what has really stuck out to you over this first, you know, week plus of the season?
0: Blots. <laughs> <laughs> that's – I mean that's the – that's – again, I think that's part of the extended sort of preseason thing. But this is a stat that we've been kicking around a lot. Uh, it's – I've I've been tracking the proportion of game time that has played with a margin of 20 plus, um, like one team or another winning by 20 plus. And usually – you know, it, it's gone up a little bit over time as the game has become swingier with, you know, higher pace and more three-pointers. Um, but for most of the last decade, it's been kind of in the, you know, 7 to 9% range. Uh, the all-time high is 8.9% in 2018. So far this year, uh, through last night's games, we're recording on, on Saturday morning. Uh, it's, it's 13.6% of game Oof. action has been, yeah, exactly. Like, and when I first like looked at the stat a week, like, uh, close to a week ago, it was like 12 something. And just the last couple of days have seen even more blowouts So it's up to 13 point, which is, you know, almost, you know, that's, that's more than, than half again as high as the all time record. It's, you know, last year was eight point one one percent So it's like 60% higher than it was a year ago
1: and there are a lot of different explanations
0: for that. Um
1: do you and I, I don't know. I'll,
0: I'll add by the way. I'll, I'll I'll add by the way that it's not like this is not something that is typically like an early season thing. And that's like exactly where I was
1: going to go. Yeah. Is, is is it like oh, you know, teams are still figuring it out, they're going to they're going to do that direction. Um
0: No, if you look at the if you look at like the first 50 games of a season, they they tend to be pretty close to the full season.
1: And so, yeah, that that's really, really interesting um, because – and there are a bunch of different theories for it. I mean one is just the unusual player availability. I mean and this is because – so there, there have been games with, due to COVID protocols and all that we're just, or or even load management, whatever we're going to talk about, that guys are just not available and so that can go in that direction. But another part, you and I kind of saw you saw this coming just in terms of okay, the league is trying to play a lot of games very quickly and that's fine. That's that's though if the owners and players bargain, that's what they want to do, they can do that. But I think coaches are much more cognizant of this compressed timeline. And so I heard somebody referring to it as the white flag theory, basically, which is that when a game gets out of hand, this year coaches are more willing to just pull their best players because they're playing again very soon.
0: Um, I don't know if it's that. Um, I, I, I I also think that there's, because we talked about this on Nerder, um, the other day is that because teams are having to generate their own energy so much with no, you know, life in the buildings really, um, and I almost think like the like the you know the, the 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 fake crowd noise and the and the you know the the music playing is actually like makes it seem more empty almost.
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's it's kind it's of just, it's, it's kind of an uncanny valley thing where like the, yeah. the closer you try to get with unnatural stuff, the more it yeah. probably to them is like, oh yeah, this isn't the same.
0: Yeah, this is this is really weird. Why why is the why is the band here? Why are the why are the the dance team here? What is what are we doing? What's going on? Uh, and so, but it, because of that, it's just I think it's easier to just kind of to drop the rope a little bit on a game. Yeah, uh, and
1: oh, and it's, especially it's, it's just, at home. Like I, I think that I, I haven't I don't know the stats on it. I don't know if you have them handy, but it seems like there have been more home teams getting blown out this year.
0: Um. Uh. You know, Ben Falk did. I think recently looked at this and and has found that you know normally home court is worth you know three and a half points give or take. This year it's it's under one point. Um. So and you know we, who knows whether that's we can speculate as to the reasons for sure. For and it what could just be sample. Be, I mean, but, we're so
1: early still. Yeah.
0: Right. But that's. But I mean, I think that's a that's a, that's. Um, it's an interesting point, and I. But I also think it's it's worth contrasting to the bubble, which in part because those those gyms were so intimate that it wasn't it like it would. I feel like it was more, you know, not to be pop psychologist here, but I think it was easier for players to kind of lose themselves in the competition because like you know the walls were close, you know, as opposed to you know. We, given that that the, most of these arenas are shaped like bowls, it's almost literally an uncanny valley mm-hmm. of just this, this you know <laughs> it's like the you know, the matrix training program or something where it's just this vast, you know, blankness and oh we're playing basketball here. Well,
1: and I think there's also um so getting along with the kind of the uncanny valley part of it, the idea of the bubble being not only in terms of the spacing but just being so anomalous that it was a place that none of them had played before, like even that basic part of it right. you know the procedures were all different you 're in the hotel rooms and you 're doing all that so it 's like if you 're in a fun house, you understand you 're in a fun house and you adjust your expectations accordingly. But, if you are doing the day to day just like you would in another world, not 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 just but like more similarly in terms of travel and where you 're like and live staying at home if that 's what if that if you 're a home if a home game, but then it's still being that different i I could imagine it'd be interesting i 'd like to talk to players about it at some point if I can, I guess via Zoom, um, which is another weird <laughs> thing uh, right. about about like whether it 's harder to' harder to adjust and harder to do that. Um what I was thinking in terms of said, people ask me like what do you what do you look for in the early early part of the season and one of the ways that i kind of try to evaluate teams and players in situations is just kind of like base level competence overall like okay do do they have a critical mass of, of capable nba players is there you know has somebody taken a really big step forward and that's why like i brought up atlanta and i think this is a very very important positive that they have and i think phoenix is probably a far better example of this same idea which is do you have enough capable NBA players that you have a reasonable chance to win like most that you have a reasonable chance to win games other than like, let's say against the league competition? Like, I think you've used Cromulant for this, and I think this is a reasonable thing. And it's like the Suns are <laughs> the Suns are formerly, to me, a completely cromulent NBA team.
0: Oh, uh, I think uh, I think that might be selling them a little short. Oh, agreed, agreed. Very but I'm tactless. saying as as a
1: baseline. Yeah. Like as a like yeah. they're they're definitely not worse than that.
0: Right. No, I, I think I actually want to talk about Atlanta here, if, sure. if we can, because you're talking about what we can learn from early going, and you know, a lot of Atlanta. I think a big, a huge part about the the kind of step forward that Atlanta appears to have taken is is kind of the group of players that that I'm going to refer to to the rest of the season. It's a law firm, uh, the, the firm of Herder Hunter and Reddish. Um, those three guys are just a lot are just better. Yes, they are. Like, and that's you, you um, especially like Hunter and Reddish. Like this isn't like a statistical argument. This isn't like you just you, like you know, Deandre Hunter last year. Like could catch the ball on a, on a reversal with the closeout coming and did not look like an NBA perimeter player. It's like oh, he's gonna have to play the four this year. He looks like an NBA three. And there's there's you know in terms he can jab step, he can pump and go, he can he swings it when it, it, it's 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 you know not to to, to overuse cromulent, but he he does. NBA wing things in that situation where he wasn't a year ago, and regardless of what he ends up shooting this year or, or anything else, it's like that's a you know okay he can play the three now, and that's a pretty big improvement for for that team because it lets them put kind of more of their talented players on the floor at the same time, and the same thing with Cam Reddish too. I think a lesser degree, but still. And then you know Herder is always someone who I've kind of liked, and he seems just healthier. Um, and they've done, you know, a lot of their success has been their second unit is able to at least tread water and sometimes extend. Uh, and that's because with, you know, Herder and to some extent, you know, uh, Rajon Rondo, but, but as much Herter being the, the, you know, the initiator that they didn't have in the in second units last year.
1: Yeah, I think that's and and I mean that was a stat that I harped on a lot of last year was just how brutally the Hawks played in the non in the non Trey Young minutes and they've been much more competent and and that's impressive when you consider the absences that they've had. Remember Rondo missed the beginning part. Chris Dunn is still out and he's out for probably a while after having another surgery. But they have enough with Bogdanovich and the law firm to to make that work. And we've seen Lloyd Pierce. Try different approaches then of like if when you have as much depth as they do and then you have the challenge of also a lot of players that have expectations and they actually having the full complement in some ways from a chemistry perspective could be harder for Pierce just because you have like Gallinari is I think a great example of that and you know I think if the team is winning it totally works that's that's a great disinfectant for all this type of stuff. Um, And nobody other than John Collins is on an expiring contract, so they don't have the, like, I have to do it this year or otherwise might be like you're messing with my money type of stuff. But I would say generally, like, that level, that core competence – has been really impressive, and especially when you consider, yes, it's been more offense than defense for the Hawks so far, per cleaning the glass as we record this. As we record this, they're the league's number one offense and the league's number 22 defense. So it's not like, oh, look, they got to league average on defense, and that's what's making it all work. But doing so without... Capella for the first few games, and without Akongwu for all of them. Not that Akongwu is going to be a great defensive player as a rookie; that doesn't happen very often. Um, but you know, they're, they didn't—they ha- don't have good defensive personnel with the players they've had available. And I think that they've actually—they've actually done better than I expected overall on that end. And you know, they've outperformed offensively. And I don't think they're necessarily going to be the league's number one offense, though I don't foreclose upon it if the bench can be as successful as it has been.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
1: And I mean, the other. Huge element that we should talk about for the Hawks. I mean, Trey Young has has been very has been very. Let's use the word effective so far, and a big part of that effectiveness is that he is averaging thirteen free throw attempts per game, and some of that can be let's call it an indictment of the way that the league is currently officiated. Though I think that Young is not really. He's not exploiting kind of the dark arts stuff as much as some other guys. He's just like, I like, just, like he flops a ball. How? How? Oh yeah. Okay. We we can we like. I, <laughs> I, I, okay. So like I use Chris Paul as the extreme of like things that aren't basketball but are fouls. But and Trey Young is close to that, but not quite there yet. But he's getting like to Harden levels, which is like the next step down from Chris Paul.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he is. Um... He he. I, I don't know if he has a background as a soccer player. He plays like he it. Though. Has, That's a great point. Yeah, but there's there, there's like you know there there so, like soccer players do a thing where they can be very sturdy on their feet when they want to be, and at other times, uh, can kind of go limp and 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 be and fall down easily. Why doesn't stiff as a board? Yeah and I think Trey has got a little of that going on. But and right the
1: crazy thing right is now. he's always had that like going back to Oklahoma. Trey Young had Trey Young had some of that. Like he had foul drawing is usually and like I think about Harden who I watched at Artesia when he was in high school and then of course at Arizona State as well. He didn't have as much of that. His game was turkey jerky, and it was weird. But and like even Chris Paul, like Chris Paul didn't have a ton of that. Trey Young, like we talk about how he how he grew up to an extent in the era of Steph Curry, and so like the shots that. Curry took that we all thought of as so audacious, like Trey Young and Lamelo, and a few other guys. Like they just that was just their life. But I think it's possible that the more lingering effect is actually him growing up seeing these guys draw fouls, and that 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 being a way that small guys could affect the game.
0: Yeah, um, but I, I, I but I also do think that is that it is a. As much an artifact of the way the game is officiated. Um, One one trend that I kind of it wasn't awesome for watchability, but I like it from a from a long term perspective. If they keep it up, is um, you know really kind of being aggressive about calling moving screens. Thank you. Because I think that part of the reason, yeah, part of like part of the reason this kind of stuff can be so damaging is if you allow a guy to set like you know a rolling kind of road grader screen, it's it is. Too easy for a guy a ball handler to create an advantage situation, and then if they can draw a foul by creating an advantage and then just stopping and a guy has to you know a guy has to you know take take the long way around this guy reverse pivoting into a screen, and then Trey Young can just stop on the other side of the screen and the guy runs into him and it's a foul it's like oh, it's like. You know that's that's a it's it's that's an exploit that would get nerfed in a in a computer game.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it, and it's something Nate calls it the Gore taught because he was the first guy that we saw do it a lot. But the team that has become the most proficient at it is the Boston Celtics, and I think that's actually been a part of what has uh, really affected them this year. And it's not totally clear. Like uh, I haven't watched the full Points of Education video yet, but I think it's more something that they're talking about, but not something like something that they're doing, but. Not not something that was a focus publicly, and so for Boston, I could imagine that being a real problem because it's such a it's such a big part. Of course, Boston. Oh, oh no, never mind. I was misreading the line. So they're around league average in terms of turnover percentage so far.
0: Yeah, it's, and I'm not I'm not really talking about necessarily the Gortat screen so much as the 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 high you know the the high ball screen point of attack. You know, just make make the defender take a line four feet outside of where the ball handler goes kind of, you know, they're, 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 they're consistently calling like the, the hip and the knee and those little sliding things now, which I like. Um, but again, I, I just, I, I hope that they can consistently, you know, call the pivot into the path. It's like, Oh, my first step into my roll to the basket happens to take me directly into the defender's path. Incidental. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's room for improvement. And I do think that, to their credit, the NBA has they've kind of noticed things that are messed up each year and tried to improve and just understood that they can't do everything all at once, and the more pressing something is, the more immediately it gets fixed. Like the uh, that series was that Houston OKC a few years ago where they basically had to change some of the some of the rules because of Lou Williams and, and a few other guys. And so like uh, and so you you have those circumstances. I wonder if the if the kind of the, the Chris Paul, Trey Young stuff, is going to be is going to be next, but I think it might just depend on where the season goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the, it's also one of those things that um one does wonder to the degree to which that call still gets made. I don't know in the playoffs. Now, obviously, Atlanta that that, that would be a great problem for Atlanta to have. Um, it's like, oh man, we're not getting the same calls in the playoffs. Yeah, they'd be thrilled. Yeah, well, I mean, would they? I mean, I don't know if they'd be thrilled. I think they. I think. Given their offseason I think that 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 making the playoffs is bare minimum expectations for them this season internally
1: internally I think you might be right yeah I was I was lower yeah. on them than they were on themselves which is which is typically the case I mean that's you know teams are optimistic for a reason um and evil, uh, I, you, you but I think
0: oh sorry no sorry, go ahead, but I, go ahead. I was I was gonna say that 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 um you know you're, you're talking earlier about like readjusting your priors and the, th- the like the reason that that Atlanta more than some other teams like is like categorically again the the improvement of the law firm is something that okay well this is okay you know, it's not just that they're shooting the hell out of the ball or guy's playing on sustainable like these guys are these guys are visibly markedly better players. Yeah,
1: like the and game so is, that, the game has slowed down for them. And that's also yeah. n- that there was a period of time that that was non public information. You know, like the Hawks had more Yep they had more info on how these guys are looking now there are times
0: when <laughs> And teams have never been over optimistic about their own players' improvement before. So right, of course, exactly. We should have like, taken like there are times that
1: teams get seduced by that and that they, the, the non representativeness of what they're seeing, and, you know, even especially if it's pre-camp, like, oh, this guy's jump shot looks good, or his body's cut, you know, muscle watch and everything else. But the game has slowed down, especially for Hunter, and he... He looks to me, uh, and uh, I, I, there were times in his rookie year preseason, actually, where I thought that Hunter you could, like, he was looked looked a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands than I anticipated. But then that largely faded away during the season when you got into like full speed reps. I think is a good way of putting it. Uh, but he has looked a lot more like that guy, and yes. DeAndre Hunter is not going to hit 48% of his threes this year, and that will reduce his efficiency, but the cog in the machine elements of his game, and also, like, I think he's moving his feet better physically, like, on offense and defense, and that's a really important step in this process, and so, yeah, the the some of the crazy top-line numbers will tone down, but the overall kind of competence is going to fit well and and you like you and you and I had discussions about I'll transition to the other team I brought up before with with the Suns of basically like where they were going to fit and like I I think yes we brought up in the early part the difference in like sample and, and everything for the Warriors like they didn't have Draymond Green all these other all these other quirks but like the Suns and the Suns have just looked you know they've They've executed really well. They're an incredibly deep team. They have capability. You know, they have players all over the four other than backup center. Um, when they're except when they're playing stars, there and it works. Um, but they're just they're just so much better top to bottom than like I, I and I thought this was possible, but I didn't. I, you know, it's one of those things where when the team hasn't done it all the way, you just don't you don't give them the credit for it until they've checked that box. And they to me they've already done so.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um... Do, do we want to go the other way and talk about teams that we may be worried about already? Is there anyone that you're like, ooh, I don't know, so far? Um, I mean, like, I mean, uh, so too so, early to be worried about Portland or Denver?
1: I think it's too early to be worried about Denver. I was just, uh, for the 15 and 60, I was actually just working on some stuff for them. And with, with Joe Michael Green missing as much time and, like, Will Barton not hitting a shot basically the entire beginning of this year, like, they have a few things that will progress – so okay, you're you're smarter on these things than me. It's it's regression to the mean, even if you're going from a negative from like being unduly negative to positive, correct? Or would that be progression to the mean?
0: No, it's regression to the mean is anything kind of getting back yeah. to like what the what the yeah. median going would be. from
1: three standard deviations out to one standard deviation out. That's regression to the mean, whichever direction you're going. Right. Okay. So like.
0: Yeah. No. Regre- regression can be it's 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 weird nomenclature, but regression can be positive. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's I think I think of that as more of a math thing than a than a linguistic thing like that's why um, but yeah so Barton and and Gary Harris in particular like those two guys just like they just haven't hit now Gary Harris is maybe the maybe he just he, the jump shot is broken it's always broken but he's shooting fifteen percent on three so far this year um, and I think his true shooting is like forty one percent or something like that or no it's forty six um, but I mean one thing that that I think bears a little bit of like real appreciation with them is and this and this is I think the reason why and maybe you were going this direction of like why we should be concerned is that Jokic has been superhuman so far and they have been I mean they've been okay in his minutes but the Nuggets have not been great there and then they've been massacred when he's off the floor so maybe you could argue that if Jokic you know so his averages so far as we're recording this on Saturday morning 23, 11, and 13. The 11 is rebounds. The 13 is assists. 31 PER, 70% true shooting on 25 usage. Like, that's completely insane. Um, So you could argue that if he takes – if he goes back to, like, normal human rather than superhuman and all these other things happen, that's there. But I'm not super worried about the Nuggets.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I mean the the, the, the thing that's more worried is – more worrisome about them is if you were big on the Nuggets, you were buying – you were buying – um, Jamal Murray, bubble Jamal Murray. Yes. Um, and he was, he was pretty good last night, but he hasn't been that guy. And so that's your, your, again, if you're worried, that's why you're worried. And that, that has, that's a bigger deal than any sort of, of, you know, um, role role players,
1: not hitting shots or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's a very, a very real concern. And, Murray, I mean, he, Matt Moore has talked about this well and about for a long time, is that Murray, he's never been that consistent guy, and that's definitely been true this season so far. But yeah, I mean, the proportion of stinkers that he's had has definitely been dispiriting. Like, yes. Mean, yeah, I mean the the first game against Sac, like he was basically a nothing burger, and then the Clippers game shortly thereafter. He, I mean he, I think that was the, that was the one where he was terrible through three quarters and then had a big fourth quarter, but they still lost. Is that right? I that's what's in my head. I remember watching watching. I think I watched the first half of that game and then transition because I had to watch everybody, and I was like, and then I heard that he did well, but did better later. But yeah,
0: yeah. So and you know, as someone who is big on them preseason, you're, you're letting me down. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> of course, a silly way to look at things, but uh, um,
1: but it no, does I it does happen. I, like though, you get burned yeah. when like when you're when you, when it when it makes you wrong. I'm not saying the Nuggets are there definitively. You definitely think of that differently.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's it's also it's it is. Um, you know, it's unusual for me to, uh, to be like an optimist on like, you know, a small playoff sample size. And I went against my, uh, (laughs) my normal want and was like, yeah, no Jamal Murray, that's him now. And so far it hasn't been. So that, that's a, that's a lesson for me, I suppose, is to, (laughs) you know, stick with my guns.
1: Yeah. Um, so you brought up, okay. So you brought up Portland as being a team, should we be concerned about? And then was there another one?
0: No, those were the two. Um, so, you know, every, like, again, everyone else, it's just like they're just, you know, I mean, the other we talked about New Orleans on on, on Nerder the other day too. Um, and that's like worried about them or is it just like, you know, they are kind of where we thought they'd be? i don 't know but Portland is the team that seems like they had expectations um you know deepest blazers team ever kind of thing
1: well, yeah, um, and I mean the idea that I had had like i picked their i picked their over was they're always going to be good offensively like they have they have the you know with, as long as dame can play they have they have good personnel there and they got a they got a little bump there from from beating the stuffing out of the warriors on on Friday, but you know the but I thought that okay, the the variance for the for the Blazers all this time has been defense. It has been so like there were those years where they were where they were the best. If they were basically above league average, they were probably fine. And you think okay, they have they have Nurkic back, even though they, you know Nurkic is replacing Whiteside, not replacing Ether and Covington and Derek Jones in the starting five, and then you have you know just a lot of deep things. And offensively, you know, I, I think that overall it's it's been about what I anticipated. I mean, other than Lillard having a rough start, but I, again, I don't think that's going to sustain. Um, but the defense in terms of capability and execution has not been to the level. And yeah, they might not. They, I don't think they're going to stay at this level. But I I didn't treat that as a given, but I treated that as an expectation. And my expectation is eroding.
0: I mean, with a starting front court of Nurkic, Covington, and Derek Jones, that that they should be, you know. And I think I actually think McCollum is probably a, a more solid defender than he's given credit for. Dame is bad, but um, but they, they you know they they shouldn't be worst half court defense in the league. Bad, and you know five games in, so blah blah blah. But to this point, they have been, is what I'm saying. Like I'm. Uh as I as as I tap dance, as I click over to cleaning the glass to make sure that they're still uh, <laughs> well, they're still last in half court defense. Um, yeah, no, they're, they even after so like last night actually improved them. They were they were they were in last place by like seven points per hundred uh, heading into last night's games, and after last night's game, they're the worst team in the league by only two points per hundred. So we, they got better, <laughs> but still, like you know, that's not that's not something that's going to get it done.
1: Here's so that I think that's a, a totally useful point, and also worth noting with with Portland that you know when we're looking at the full we're looking at the full thing that includes their their bench defense. Being what it has been overall, and the the I mean, there was this idea because going back to the year when he partially replaced Yusuf Nurkic, that Enes Kanter would work, and I mean, he's been efficient offensively. You know, it's been the Enes Kanter experience, as as you and I have both understood it to be over the years, where the Blazers can score points and the other team could score points too. Uh, something that I thought would be a worthwhile exercise. Is because we're so early in the season. I'm just going to say I'm, I'm using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter, which maybe you could make an argument I probably shouldn't use for this, but I am anyway. Of you know, so this is a way of thinking about th- thinking about kind of th- things that might be defying expectations. I'm going to say the five team, the teams that have the you know the the best and worst opponent three point shooting against them, and then the best and worst three point shooting themselves, and we'll just kind of think about how this how this might affect some expectations. So the teams that have the uh, highest opponent three-point shooting percentages so far. from from So Warriors, 44.7%, which is completely ridiculous. Pacers, Jazz, Nuggets, Rockets, a couple of teams we've talked about as being disappointing are in that group. And then the teams that have had the like weakest opponent free- shooting percentage, the Knicks, 26.8% of, of opponent three-pointers are going in. Phoenix, Atlanta, Toronto, and Dallas. Uh, do you want to talk about that, or do you want me to rattle off the other side?
0: Uh, no, I think, I mean... I, I think the, in general, the, the point is – I think this gets back to sort of the, the – us being ahead of ourselves. Is like in a five-game sample size, that's happens. Yeah, That's of how course. it works.
1: Yeah, that's how it works. And so that's going to make teams – you're going to think about it differently. OK. Best three-point shooting – now this is team's offense. Best three-point shooting team so far, Atlanta, Milwaukee, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Cavs. Worst three-point shooting so far, the Pelicans, the Warriors, the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wolves.
0: I mean – in broad terms, other than Milwaukee being at the top, that doesn't sound
1: like that like, that's the funny thing. Like I don't know if I maybe it's just because I I, I feel like I know a team's shoot I know a team's shooters better than I know their shooting defense. And maybe it's because going back to the idea of something that you and I have talked about <laughs> before in
0: terms of because one of those is a thing and the other one isn't?
1: Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, so you, so you look at it and so like, yeah, the Knicks, for example, like opponents just can't make a, can't make a three on them. The expectation is that that will regress to the mean and that that, that, that will be better. And like the, the interesting one for me with inclusion there is is the Pacers, because the Pacers are giving up 43% on opponent three-pointers and they still have the fifth-ranked defense in the NBA right now. Granted, it's a weird sample with like just with, but, but I mean, they've also played good teams.
0: That is – I mean that is that is weird. I'd have to actually that's, – that's an interesting thing to want to look into. I feel like I haven't – the Paces are a team that I haven't checked in on enough, um, partially because they've been sort of one of the like the duller teams in the league over the last couple of years. Well, the, and,
1: um, I, so it's been interesting for me because I've watched them a little bit because I've wanted to see how different the offense looks under Nate Bjorkren. But it's yeah. been more like check-ins rather than detailed stuff. And I, so I said they played good teams. I th- that will be we'll have to calibrate this. But so they played Boston twice, and that's what I was thinking of when I said that. Then they also played <laughs> they played the Knicks opening night, and then they played the Bulls when the Bulls were shorthanded, and they played the Cavs, and we're still figuring out how good the Cavs are. But I think that so so
0: it's it's also wild when so really just, they've they've played the struggle bus Celtics and the Celtics you know with without Kemba and still kind of. Yeah. Maybe scuffling themselves a little bit, <laughs> adjusting to, you know, a staple of their offense being outlawed uh, silently. Yeah. <laughs> so have they played? Yeah. But no, The, the but I, I've been following this a little bit. And part of it is the Pacers shot profile has changed a fair amount. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But but someone uh, someone pointed out that their frequency of like catch and shoot two point jumpers has gone from one of the highest in the league to one of the lowest in the league and you know that's long been something that i've kind of uh certainly for you know the middle part of the of the teens that was that was a pretty good indicator for whether a team kind of got it or not is you know all right you know some of the like the better movement shooters in the league like your clay thompson's your jj Reddicks would take a fair amount of like catch and shoot twos but that's like you know that's that's they're coming off so many screens that sometimes they curl to like the foul like if it gets overplayed or something. Yeah. They curl into a to a to a two point jumper or something like that. But for the most part, the teams that are taking a lot of catch and shoot twos are the teams that are playing late nineties basketball. Um and the the Pacers may or may not have been a team that could be accused of that um, under under Nate McMillan and appears they have kind of gone the other way under Nate 2.0 Here,
1: here's another way of phrasing that cleaning the glass has a stat that's location effective field goal percentage for those who have cleaned the glass and are recommended it, it's under the shooting tab. Last year so that so basically what that is is based on based on your shot profile, how kind of how efficient would it be. And there, there are obviously teams that exceed and underperform this based on like what your guys are good at and various other things. But last year the Pacers had the twenty league's twenty first ranked location effective field goal percentage. They were eighth in effective field goal percentage, but that that was that was one of the disparities that they had. So they were because they were taking a lot of shots and remember this is about frequency rather than success, the, the location number. It's because they were They took a bunch of mid-rangers. They had the league's second lowest three-point attempt rate and lowest above the break three-point attempt rate. Now you look at the five-game sample so far this year, the Pacers are second in location effective field goal percentage. They're taking 45% of their shots at the the rim. That is the most in the league. They are taking the third fewest mid-rangers of any team in the league. And while their three-point ratio is low, it's low because they're taking so many shots around the basket.
0: Sure. So... Since we're talking about this uh, with respect to you know Ben Foxite, um, this is something that he and I have been talking about a little recently. Is um, this is maybe a little in the weeds, but uh, that stat, especially early in the year, we found that actually there are some. Some uh, buildings have have what in hockey might be called rink effects. So, oh yeah,
1: that's right.
0: Uh, so the difference. So and that's that's mostly like the differentiation between like what uh, what he calls you know short mid range shots, kind of the paint non restricted area shots. There are some places where uh, scorekeepers are more generous in calling those attempts at the rim, and some are more generous in calling them or, or less generous and call more of them kind of floater range shots. So that that I think that especially over a short sample might have some impact.
1: Yeah, on, because those on are still manually logged, correct?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's you know you you it's I, I think it's like a stylus or something, and and you know it's like uh, um, th- there isn't you know, where a shot is taken, especially a shot around the basket where a player is moving towards the basket. Like where's that att- attempt taken from is a,
1: yeah. Is, it take, off, know, is a, it take off or release basically? Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, no. And that's, you know, it's, it's something that actually comes up from time to time, even in tracking data uh, because there used to be before they figured out this was a problem, there used to be a lot of like 21 foot three pointers. And that was because they would, you know, log shot location at the point where the ball hits a certain height and, you know, for a guy, say like JJ Redick, a guy who jumps forward two and a half feet on his three pointers, like he's taking he's taking 20 and a half foot threes from the corners uh, when, you know, in actuality, that shot is taken, you know, his feet were behind the line. So where is that shot taken from? Um, but that's, you know. That's probably unnecessary. It's, unnecessary it's, it's that is a
1: tease into a very interesting topic that I don't think we're ready to discuss now. But it is it is something that I'm that I like.
0: <laughs> well, it's it, you know that's a that's a tease for that's a tease for my forthcoming book, is what is what it really is. There we go. There yeah. we go. By
1: the way, forthcoming gets
0: yet to be written. By the so. <laughs> way, I I will,
1: I I will note that based on what I know, I am exceedingly excited, and but you know, I will no give pressure. it time. No, no, yeah. hey, it's it is what it is. Um, so I, I think we, we've we've gone pretty far in terms of of what we of what we wanted to discuss. Um, the other the other kind of group groups for me are the teams that I thought would be bad that have been bad. Like that is a that is a very dangerous group. And so like Minnesota, I watched the game. Granted, Minnesota without Carl Anthony Towns is very different than Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. But they're to me like they're a bad team that has been bad. And that that isn't a guarantee five games in. And then remember they have a two and three record because they 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 won a couple of games. But the, the the concern that I had with them was I didn't understand how they were going to stop anybody, and they're not stopping anybody. And then it was going to be like their offense has to be amazing for them to be viable, and it will be more vi- amazing when Carl Anthony Towns is back. But they're just not quite there.
0: Uh, is this the part where we have the D'Angelo Russell conversation or – I was going to save we... that
1: for with Nate tomorrow.
0: <laughs> OK. But, yeah. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let you have that other than um, to say that, that – you know. That uh, you know there are there are all star appearance. Well, here's something you should bring up with Nate. Nate uh, Nate kind of went off on Demontis Sabonis being the worst all star in recent memory. Um, remind him he said that when you when you start talking about D'Angelo Russell.
1: I will. Um, and I, I'm guessing he won't have listened to this by that point. So that'll be real fun. Um, then so like and then another team kind of in that vein for me is is Detroit and. I mean, I've I've actually watched a lot of them so far, and it was the same thing. We're like, I didn't really have a theory of them on offense or defense, and they haven't been particularly good on offense or defense. Even though Jeremy Grant has had some interesting moments, let's put it that way, as a like couple dribbles and doing something, but just the overall like talent level of that team just isn't wasn't what, wasn't what I thought. Or well, they it all, was what, also- it was what I thought. Sorry, it just isn't good.
0: They, I mean, they also have had a lot of lineup inconsistency. Yes, like Blake is playing; he's not playing. Like they're with Blake playing, they're just even though he his athleticism is, he's still I think he's still their best player. Oh, absolutely. To agree. Yeah, especially offensively. But they just play so differently. Like they they um like everything just kind of flows through him when he plays, and then they do other things. When he doesn't and and he's available sometimes and not other times because that's just where he is.
1: Yeah, and and that is a a real challenge of, you know, like having having a kind of let's call him a singular player is but sometimes that's even not about that player. It's just like you don't have a you don't have a reasonable facsimile replacement. And so that, that, right. that means that a player being unavailable totally changes it. And so sometimes that is a criticism of the front office. Sometimes it's just the nature of, of a roster, like a player who you can't really do that with, like, let's say LeBron. Like, yeah, you're not going to have a baby LeBron on, on your lineup. So you just have to have a different theory. And like, that's something that I think the Lakers have done a good job managing is that they, you know, okay, when LeBron's not on the floor, we have to be a different team. Great. We'll just have different players.
0: Right, but you know your your team is probably better if you're a, you're a LeBron, yes or no, than if you're a Blake Griffin, yes or no.
1: That's a bold take.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, that's that's what I'm here for. That's the the analysis for which uh, you know people really tune in for. Um, so I'm really I'm nailing it today, really.
1: But so uh, I I don't I haven't watched as much uh, some of that is is not doing the not doing in oh, East 15 and 16 until next week and and just also who they played. I I I haven't watched enough of the Raptors to know whether we should be freaked out or not. Um I mean their offense has been abysmal so far, but I have you have do you have any feel on that yet? Like I feel like that's something we should bring up, but I my, the answer can just be I don't know yet.
0: I the answer is I don't know. I I've I've watched very little of the Raptors so far, so I can't. I mean I you know I I think we knew that they were going to have roughness in the half court offense and they haven't been able to get out in transition as much as they would like. And so maybe that's a concern. But it's also like it's early and, you know, they're some of their shooters aren't making shots. So, you know, it, it's it's too early to freak out. Um, and I, you know, I think they kind of knew this was a maybe a little bit of a gap year and um, they i mean they certainly they they certainly separate, set up for this year to be sort of a, a, a temporizing a little bit and you know their their plans for next off season have probably changed um based on you know certain people doing certain things contractually um but yeah i mean they didn't they they didn't they certainly didn't like operate this off season as if they were really going for it this year so they're still kind of I think they have some optionality in terms of waiting to see if they pick back up or if it's going to be that kind of year. It's a really good draft and and you know, you know, maybe it's uh you you have a conversation with Kyle Lowry, say, "Hey, we're going a certain way. Where do you want to go that you can, you know, win this year?" And there there I would think that there would be teams that would be interested in him. Um, but that's well, especially I don't think that's like a having they need even, to have yet.
1: even though. Sorry, sorry. Go no, you finish your thought and then I'll go to mine. Sorry, I should. No, I,
0: I don't think. I, I don't think that's a, you know. Again, we're five games in. That's not a conversation they need to. that it's not a decision they need to make yet. But that's that is a path that is open to them.
1: It is, though it, I think if they're keeping Siakam and O.G. Ananobi, I think they're probably too good to get all the way there. But remember, Masai Ujiri, when he took over the job, that was kind of where he was thinking things were going to go, and then they didn't because that team exceeded <laughs> expectations.
0: Well, they didn't because James Dolan decided he didn't want to trade with him again, so wouldn't take Kyle Lowry.
1: Yeah, that's very true. One of those one of those fun butterfly wings.
0: Yeah, um, of- yeah well, th- that that they accidentally got good after they traded Rudy Gay.
1: right. So I, I think that I'm not I'm not super I, I, need, I haven't watched enough to be worried yet so we'll we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, yeah, I, I I think that the the other kind of part of this is the the teams that I thought were going to be good were like the the best teams they haven't been consistent and I have concerns about all of them. But and you know like the Clippers got their butts handed to them by the Mavericks in that in that weird game and they lost to the they lost to the Jazz yesterday. But it's like you know you're basically it's. It's funny that for like young guys and good teams, you're kind of looking in both cases, you're looking for flashes like, oh, can they beat the doors off of somebody if they're if they're kind of in rhythm? And, you know, like the Lakers, to me, the Lakers, the, the Bucks and the Clippers have all done that. And Miami's had a few really nice moments, too. They just haven't had as, as many yet. But I'm not worried about I'm not particularly worried about any of them other than some specific little lingering things with each.
0: You know who? So, on terms of the the teams we thought might be good, the team that that is feels like they might be flying under the radar a little bit right now is Philly. Uh huh. You know, so let's. Do let, <laughs> you have any thoughts?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I think so. What's what's hard for me with with Philly is. You could argue that other than their loss to the Cavs, their least impressive game was the was the one that I watched most intently, which was when they uh they eked by the Wizards. But they were still figuring a lot of things out in that game. And like Embiid had a huge fourth quarter and they were getting there. But but yeah, I I their defense has been very impressive so far. And then I and also like I think Ben Simmons is still kind of working himself into form. But I mean, this, so this, for, for me, if the defense can be, let's say, top five, doesn't have to be number one like they are right now, but if they can be top five and then they can be competent on offense, then they're going to be a very good team. And I, I, I'm I positive on them, but also this isn't – they haven't exactly played a murderer's row.
0: Yeah. But and, and, you know, here's, here's just the funniest making...
1: thing, which is so quickly before you get there. I was just saying they haven't played a murderer's row. Their their next three games, Charlotte, Charlotte, Washington. So might be a little bit of
0: time. Right, but their team just makes more sense. Yes, I mean, Seth Curry. Like that. That's that's it remains one of my favorite trades for the soft season. Was uh, uh you know the. Um the Seth Curry Josh Richardson swap just because it's it's one of those things. that just makes too much sense for for sort of both teams. And Seth Curry's been good.
1: He has. Yeah, I, the Sixers. I'm just. I think I'm just going to need to. I'm going to need to watch more. And I, I know you and I both have this where you get a little bit gun shy when a team has burned you before, and you're like, "Well, can, <laughs> can I can I love again?" Like you know, like that sort of thing. And <laughs> it it's it is it is a little bit there for me. And especially because they have guys like Embiid that can be very inconsistent. And so where is that going to go? And also worth noting, the, the, the Sixers' only loss was when they got blown out by the Cavs, and that was the only game that Joel Embiid did not play. So that is, you know, worth noting to to the extent that that matters. Though the other thing to remember is that Joel Embiid will not play. You know, I, I think he will – that will be something that continues, is that he will, he will miss, you know, about – I don't know if it will be one out every five games, but could be.
0: He, he will miss games. That's that's what he does.
1: Yeah. Uh, anything else? I mean, we, we've gone on for about an hour now. Anything else that really strikes you in this early going? Or the way that I like to phrase this is, what are you going to be looking for over the next couple of weeks?
0: Um, I think I'm going to be looking for, uh, looking at Atlanta for, for a little bit longer to see, see where they are. Um, sort of one of the, we didn't really touch on it, but the, the, the fascinating thing all year is going to be looking at Kevin Durant.
1: Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. You and I could have spent a whole hour talking about him.
0: Yeah. And this is something that, you know, the difference for their prospects between him being, you know, top five Kevin Durant, which he looked every inch of. The first game against Atlanta and him being top 15 or top 20 is them being an inner circle contender and them not being a contender at all. And so there's a lot of like, I'm very consciously going to be nitpicking every time I watch him all season. And it's, it's, you know, he's, he's shot the ball incredibly well so far this season. The thing that was there in the first Brook in the first Atlanta game that has been, inconsistent I would say for the rest of the season has been the everything else has been the playmaking has been the rebounding has been the defense um and you know it's not it's not a question that needs to get answered in December or January but it's we're really we're looking for that to see you know you know uh you know I, I last month i did a, i did an interview with uh with uh, josh baxter from university of pennsylvania uh in, an expert on on achilles injuries and he said something about you know these these like you know high performing athletes kind of these these physical geniuses can sort of figure out a way to do certain movements even if they've lost some function in in you know their calf and their achilles and it strikes me that that might be more advantageous in situations where you can kind of have a plan. And so if you're like, you know, Kevin Durant getting into like his jab step package, like he can probably have figured out ways to, to move that still let him get shots off and be effective. And it's, so it's more the improvisation, unexpected, the, the, the unexpected improvisation where he's having to react. Um, and even in that first Atlanta game, like the, the parts where he was least convincing was sort of elevating around and through kind of contact around the rim. Like in space it seems like he can get up in the air and get it shot up over people. It's when there's you know, when when there's body to body. It doesn't seem like he really can or he was consistently able to to do that, either offensively or defensively. And so again, this is me being super nitpicky but that's the kind of stuff you're looking at if you're expecting is he you know just the second or third best player in the league right now and you know again we don't have an answer right now but we're we're going to be watching it all season
1: and with durant for me it was always the long game you know like what what is he going to look like god i'm going to keep trying to use april through june because that's how my brain works but it's going to be (laughs) later than later than that may through may through july well no but
0: you can say it because the league calendar has been mapped to this year so you can say it and it counts as as those other days Whenever they are.
1: Yeah. And so I, I think that, yeah, well, those are the system dates. Um, but so I, I think that I was, I, it was always going to be, you know, like whether, whether we saw that tier one or that top five Kevin Durant really at all in the early season, I was going to be extremely heartened. And that, that first Atlanta game, it was, it wasn't a hundred percent that, but it was closer than I honestly thought it was going to be for the first few months of the season. And I'm as a, as like an optimist, like that was just, it just takes time and so that was extremely encouraging you are right there are there are picks to knit um and that's that's completely reasonable, and we'll see how that looks in a couple of months. But having the playmaking and the passing be there the way it was in that game was very encouraging. And his defense has been inconsistent, but it was inconsistent even when he was healthy in the last couple of years. And that's the Nets can survive that. I mean, it might, it might, and and they have other stuff to talk about on that. It, it's
0: more that it's more that it's there that he can dial. Like this yes. is something that you, you noticed, like late in his Oakland, Oakland City career, is like he could dial it up.
1: Yes, in, and in, and, like and a postseason. The, scenario. I think the dial cons- go pretty high and that's that's very positive in terms of brooklyn's ceiling and ceiling is what matters in terms of the playoffs so yeah i'm i'm very encouraged by Durant's durant 's year so far we'll see if the game by game impacts are all the way there but he, i've yeah i mean i'm thrilled as he's absolutely one of my favorite players to watch and I thought that, you know, the his his release point being so high and him having all of these other elements that it's like even a reduced durant would still be an effective player. But he's shown more physical functioning at this point in the process than I expected because I'm I'm still extremely scared of Achilles injuries and I and I will continue to be. But
0: <laughs> You're it, talking should, to the guy who 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 at times would like be getting in his car to go play pickup basketball and it's like nah Achilles and go back in the house at times so that's yeah that's how scared of Achilles I am
1: yeah so I I'm I'm very encouraged by the Nets so far I do think that there is a distinct chance that they are um like we're seeing around the league, a a far better playoff team than regular season team, just because they can, you know, Durant, Durant and Kyrie, not Kyrie's defenses, but they can, they'll they'll ramp up the the caring level significantly more. And then will the, they
0: ramp up playing the Jared Allen instead of DeAndre Jordan level? Oh, in the boy. playoffs too.
1: I mean. I think that there is a much higher chance that that happens now that Steve Nash is the coach than that than it would previously because I, I'm guessing he has enough equity with Durant and Irving. Because it's hey, this guy's just better. Yeah, be like, like everything. Be like, come on, guys. I mean, it, that in that in that first Hawks game, um, that was the that was my other big takeaway. Beyond like, holy crap, Kevin Durant is amazing, and I'm this is so fantastic. Was the Nets are so much better when Jared Allen is on the floor than when DeAndre's on the floor.
0: Yeah, and it's both ends. Is yes, is, uh, Jared Allen, especially on like, defense, to me. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know about that. Um Just because, like, Jared Allen is he's a little bit like. Another guy I think of in this way is Robert Williams with the Celtics. Jared Allen is thought of as kind of just a pure, like, pick-dive-dunk center. His skill level is much higher mm-hmm. than he's given credit for. And that he's not, he's not going to be a jump shooter. He's not going to, like, put the ball on the floor a lot. But his ability to catch the ball in traffic and make passes, make quick reads, is significantly higher than he's given credit for. And that's, you know— with, with as much kind of attention as any ball handler you, that they have using him as a screener is going to get, like him being able to make a play in a short role that you know DeAndre couldn't in, couldn't make in a million years. Like that's like you, you know you run spread pick and roll with with you know with with Kyrie and him, and then you have KD and Joe Harris and and you know pick a shooter as as the fourth guy like the ability for him to catch the ball at the foul line and make a play is going to be so huge for them and yeah. he just does that so much better like, I, you know, than, than DeAndre Jordan does, than DeAndre Jordan ever has. And certainly DeAndre Jordan can at this point in his career.
1: And it is a very worthwhile consideration for marks and, and just team builders in general that when you have the kind of the, the, the focal points, the linchpins already set, you are looking for a very specific set, not only of skills, but of like mentalities for and in competencies for everyone else and I think it's a very good point about Allen having that capability and making making better decisions and everything else and like Joe Harris does it in a different way but he is such a wonderful fit like offensively conceptually with all that because he knows he knows the like what he needs to do and he's done I, I've been very impressed with Harris so far and picking his spots like running running to locations and just being ready and that's all the that's all the Nets really need from him on offense I think that's right well, we've gone on uh, lots of topics that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk at some point soon. But thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks again to Seth Partnot for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can also listen to him on Ner- the Nerdist She Wrote podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, at Seth part- Partnow, P... Uh, sorry, I should spell the whole thing. S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on. Love talking with him early in the season. Like, I, I think sometimes he tempers... He kind of tempers some of my my instincts. You know, you watch team and they play poorly, and it's like, well, maybe it was who they were playing and everything else. So that happens both on the podcast and, of course, off it. And that is really the early part of the season. It can sometimes be really hard to reconcile those things. And in some ways, especially when it reinforces as your priors, but generally that means that you were kind of in the right direction the first time, so you have to work through all that stuff, but it has been a fascinating early part of the season, and especially if you read Seth's work you can some of the stuff that we talked about in terms of blots everything, there's some really fertile ground that he's digging into now, and I, I'm enjoying that quite a bit, so definitely check him out if you subscribe to The Athletic. Highly recommend that, of course, beyond them being one of my employers. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode episode... That's great to do in whatever podcast players you, you use, whether that's Spotify or Apple or whatever, if you subscribe and download it, because this will come out at different times. For example, this one comes out on Saturday during the day, but it's really all about guest availability. Also, leaving a rating, leaving a review in podcast player of your choice, much appreciated. And word of mouth, those are just different ways for people to find the show, and that is much appreciated. If you want to check out my other work, I am writing at The Athletic. I just did a series on extension negotiations I was Previewing the preseason ones, and then now I ran through the in-season ones that actually came out on Saturday. I'm, I haven't pushed out yet on Twitter, but that's coming very soon, of course. And then now I'm pivoting to working on how the extension time and the agreements that happened changed the 2021 off season, and that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm working on not only a team by team projection, but also some big picture stuff, and then probably some small picture stuff too. And that's going to be really, really exciting and for podcasts, Nate and I are still doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Our Sunday night slash Monday morning episodes are going to be the public ones and overwhelmingly those are going to be our fifteen and sixties. And those are, you know, that's really our hallmark. And we wanted to have that as as something that is publicly available. And then Dunked on Prime is the other four days a week. And we're also doing a weekly game Mondays on Broadcasting on League Pass. This Monday, it will be Warriors Kings, which is extremely exciting to watch all those players. And so you can watch the game and hear us call it, which is really our dream when we started the NBA cast a long time ago. You can also ask questions using that NBA hashtag, NBA cast hashtag. Um, and we have a producer, thankfully, that pulls that pulls questions for us and we answer them during break. So hopefully you can check that out. That is enough for now other than to say that if you have any feedback on the show good, bad, or indifferent, danielarue nba at gmail.com is the way to get that to me. Twitter is too ephemeral, and I have a separate place in my inbox for those emails. If you take the time to write it, I promise I will take the time to read it, and I will reply if I can. This is something I want to get better at in the new year, but I um, acknowledge that. I, I'm, I'm acknowledging my shortcomings, but if you, the point is to get your input to me, and you will do that. That is, that is sure, and I get stuff all the time. Whether it's a guest that you like, or something you want me to discuss more often, or just, hey, maybe handle this a little bit differently. I really do appreciate all of that. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.